Welcome to Make Me Your Voice with Pastor David Bartowell. These messages are intended to deepen your faith and trust in a living God who speaks to us with hope and reason. Today's message comes to us from the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. Today, we're going to talk about Jesus cleaning house. Have you ever let Jesus clean house? Not your physical house, but internally. Is he the best one at deep cleaning? Because there's a difference, right, between cleaning and deep cleaning, right? If you deep clean, what do you find? It's like the crack on the wall. It's like, oh, I see the, you know, the crack on the wall because you're focusing on it, right? So Jesus, by his spirit, cleans house. He does that from the inside out. So today is part two of the build up to Easter. Jesus cleans house. What else is today? Palm Sunday, right? What happened on Palm Sunday? Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, humbly, as prophesied by Zechariah in chapter 9. Now, what did the people, how did they welcome him? What did they say? Hosanna, which means save us now. Blessed is the name of the Lord. So they were actually publicly proclaiming Jesus as their Messiah, right? But what happened less than a week later? They crucified him. He was handed over to the Jews, by the Jews to the Gentiles, to be crucified because, and this was the last straw, Jesus cleaned house. Because what we forget is that on Palm Sunday, he didn't just ride in on a donkey and be proclaimed king. He, as king, showed up in his father's house and was upset about what it turned into. You know, when Jesus comes into our life, he's not upset. And by the way, he's not surprised, but he cleans us out of the sin that's in our life. And here we're going to look at how did Jesus clean house. First, he turns your life around. He turns your life around. Okay? In 1991, Jesus turned my life around. He uh, turned the life that was of depression, despair, and death into a life of purpose, hope, and eternal life. But thank God he didn't do all the cleaning at once. That would hurt too much. But he does it over time. And it's with his word. You know, his word is a two-edged sword. Cuts and heals. Cuts and heals. That's how people are healed. By the word of God. And what does he do? He walks into the temple courts, the outer courts. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, he says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? What happened to our life when Jesus became king? We became the temple of the Lord. And he lives in us, right? And don't you think that because Jesus is protective over his father's house, the temple in Jerusalem, wouldn't he be protective of his father's house, the temple of you? Because he lives here. He's concerned about the spiritual condition of his house. And what is the first thing Jesus does when he comes into your life? He drives out evil. He drives out evil. I'll never forget when I first got saved and we were living in a house in Aliso Viejo, actually. It was a little condo. And I got saved and I was sleeping at night and I woke up and I saw shadows leaving 
through the window. And I felt like the evil that had dominion over my life was kicked out. That's what he does. In Mark 11, he entered the temple and began to drive out those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. Look, that's a big thing he did. And it ticked a bunch of people off, right? But before we talk about that, we have to go back in time to see how this transpired. Jesus had entered Jerusalem as Israel's king, and the people were praising him with palm branches, which meant royalty. And in verse 11 of chapter 11, Mark writes, Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. What did he do? He inspected it. He looked around at everything. But since it was already late, he went to Bethany with the twelve. So he had a night to think this over. So he goes into the temple. He inspects his father's house because they just proclaimed him as king. And he looks around at everything. And imagine how Jesus, the Son of God, felt by seeing his father's house ransacked by thieves and filled with sin. Israel, like we do, forgot who it was about, right? In fact, there's a telling verse in John chapter 11 that shows us what the heart behind this is. These are the religious leaders. They said, if we let Jesus go on like this, everyone's going to believe in him. And then the Romans are going to take away both our temple and our nation. Are you kidding me right now? How arrogant and audacious is that? It's not theirs. It's not ours. But yet they say, right? They sound like the pigeons in Finding Nemo. Mine, 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 mine. You know, if you've ever seen it. And we have to be careful to not be like Israel and ransack what belongs to God. It's easy to do. So Jesus rides into your life as king. And what is the first thing you do? He cleans your life out of sin. It doesn't mean you won't sin, but you are forgiven. What was once red as scarlet is white as snow. You are pure. You are given new clothes. You have put on Christ. He cleans his father's temple. If you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 11. Let's look at this. So starting in verse 15. Then they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturn the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he would not permit anyone to carry merchandise to the temple. What's the merchandise? The merchandise were the doves and what they were selling for sacrifice. Here's what happened. Jesus put a stop to an ungodly, blasphemous business of taking advantage of God's people through the temple of God. The previous day, what did Jesus do? He looked around. He inspected his father's house. What did he find? Evil. He found sin. The money changers were taking advantage of the worshipers, thousands of them. In fact, Josephus, a first century historian, he wrote that on Passover, there could be up to 234,000 lambs slaughtered. So it's a huge business. So they're taking advantage of the worshipers that traveled all over the world to come to Jerusalem. And here's the worst part. 
In order to sacrifice correctly, they had to exchange their money for a Hebrew shekel. So what did the money changers do? They added this exorbitant fee that took advantage of these people so that they could sacrifice correctly. And boy, did Jesus get mad. You know, a lot of people think Jesus never got angry. Like Jesus, meek and mild, and he's humble and all those things, right? But he got ticked. What ticked him off the most was this hypocrisy and blasphemy of God's house and God's things. It's the house of God. And we don't want to be money changers in the house of God. So he turns our life around and he does, he drives out evil. What's the next thing he does when he turns our life around? He moves mountains. So there's two different things going on here in this passage. First, it's about the temple. And then it's that famous verse about moving mountains. So look at Mark 11, verse 12. On the next day, when they had left Bethany, he became hungry. Seeing at a distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see it, but he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. He said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. So that's like the premise of what's going to happen here. No one ever eat fruit from you again. Many believe that the fig tree is figurative of Israel. Therefore, the cursing of the tree is not necessarily about the tree. It's about Israel. When Jesus said, may no one ever eat fruit from you again, he was cursing Israel. That's what happens when God's people turn their backs on God. It's what happens when churches turn their backs on God. And just because you see huge crowds doesn't mean that there's fruit. The tree could be dying and rotting at the roots. So after Jesus cleans house, on the next day, Peter notices the cursed fig tree that it has withered from the roots up. Jesus roots out corruption and sin. He exhorts his disciples to have faith. And he says this, I tell you the truth. You can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. Now, a lot of people look at that and go, oh, it's all about me. I have to really believe. Well, first of all, Jesus is saying that this mountain, he says, I tell you the truth, you can say to this mountain, it probably was referring to, because remember, we have to look at the geographical context. Jesus was going to the Mount of Olives, and he was looking, and he was probably looking at a mountain where Herod, the king, actually removed an entire mountain for landscape purposes. He wanted to get rid of that mountain to form this valley of protection around his citadel, but also so that he could see Jerusalem better. So that's probably what it's saying. We don't know for sure. It's interesting, though, because in this context, he goes in the queen's house. He says, have faith in me, basically, in God, not in the temple. And and he's pointing to this place that probably a whole mountain was excavated. And I can't help but think, when God comes into our life, he does a landscape job and he excavates these potential hindrances and he takes over and you see things a lot clearer, right? So Mark 11 and 24 says, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, 
believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Again, it's in the same passage. And some people will use that. They go to the name it and claim it thing. You know, I name it and in Jesus' name I claim it. Well, what if what you're naming and claiming is what God doesn't want you to have? If you had that much power that you could just name it and claim it, you'd have a lot of problems. I'm telling you right now, if you don't let God do it, that mountain is going to get bigger and bigger and bigger, right? But basically here, what Jesus is saying, he's saying, don't trust in the temple, right? Because he goes in there and he cleans house. Don't trust in the temple. And he says, don't trust in the fig tree. Don't trust in Israel. Trust in God, okay? Then when Jesus cleans house, he teaches you new things. In verses 17 and 18, he began to teach and say to them, Is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? Not just for the establishment and the elite that have taken over. For all nations. But you have made it into a robber's den or a den of thieves because they were taking advantage. They were robbing from God. The chief priests and the scribes heard this. And what did they do? They jumped with joy because finally they heard the truth. No, that's not what they did. They went out to destroy him because, why? They were afraid of him because the entire crowd was astonished at his teaching. Do you see the motivation behind why they wanted to destroy him? He interrupted their good life. He interrupted their life of power, their life of eliteness. It's the establishment taking over everything in the house of God. And they went to destroy him because Jesus taught in a power that no one had ever seen before or heard. Jesus' teaching has power to change your life. So there's two ways that you can respond to Jesus' teaching. Number one, you can become afraid like the religious leaders. Oh man, Jesus is messing with my life. He's overturning those tables again. I wish you'd just leave him alone. You can become afraid because you don't want to give up control to your king. Or secondly, you can be like the crowd of people that followed him and said they were astonished. They were amazed because the regular people got it. It was the people in power that were going to destroy Jesus. When I got saved, I hungered for God's word because I grew up in a church where I didn't understand what they were saying, and, and it was kind of discouraging. I'd leave and go, I don't know what they mean. When Jesus came into my life and the Holy Spirit turned the light on, it's like I hungered for God's word. I hungered so much to the point where I found Bible studies every night. I said to myself, I used to go to bars every night. I might as well go to the Bible study. And it changed my life. And I started memorizing scripture. And I started listening to radio stations like K-Way with really good Bible teaching. And I started to learn. I hungered. And to this day, I hunger for God's word. Sadly, as I said last week, I hunger for God's word. And I'm embarrassed to say that sometimes I hunger for God's word more than I hunger for God, which is not right either. But God's word changes your life. And don't ever stop being amazed at what Jesus can do. And then third, when Jesus cleans house, he roots out sin. He roots out sin. Remember, the fig tree is a picture of Israel. It's a picture of what happens when someone detaches from the vine, Jesus. Israel lost sight 
of who they were and lost their place in this world. Don't let sin control you. Let Jesus, your king, control you. Jesus was all about this. You know what he was about? His father's business. He wasn't about his own business. There's business owners, which is awesome. We need business owners. But God gave you that business as God gave us this place and this church, not for us. We get to enjoy it, but we don't leave this earth with anything except him. It's all about him. God wants to root out sin in your life. And what does he do? The first thing he does is he drives out sin and he forgives you. There's nothing better than that. I used to sing in bars, even after I got saved, I was singing in bars. And I sing a song called Heart of the Matter. And it's a secular song. And it's written by Don Henley. And do you know there's power in that song? Because the lyrics are, it's all about forgiveness. It's all about forgiveness. And that's why I always say, God uses broken people and people who are all messed up, but he still brings good out of it. Like, I don't know if Don Henley's a believer, but that song's powerful because it's about the message. Not necessarily about the messenger as much, but about the message. So look at verses 25 and 26. I got to tell you, this is a very perplexing passage because it kind of jumps all over. But look at what Jesus says. Whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, which is resentment, so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive your sins. And then verse 26 doesn't appear in the earliest manuscripts. That's why it's in brackets in some of your Bibles. And it could be that it was added later to coincide with the Lord's Prayer. But it says, but if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your sins, which is in the Bible and other places. So what does that mean? Because it's like, am I not forgiven? Well, first of all, that were the case, the whole New Testament would need to be thrown away because you are forgiven in Christ. It's like this. There's two levels of forgiveness. There's the forensic level, which is the level of legality, of judgment. So when Jesus comes into your life and he rides in as king and he cleans out and he just drives out sin, you are white as snow. And that level of forensic forgiveness is never at risk. You are in Christ. This is never at risk. Nobody should ever wonder if they have placed their faith in Christ, you have received the Holy Spirit, God lives in you. The Holy Spirit is there as a guarantee for future redemption and glory. No one can lose that because you didn't earn it. But there's another level of forgiveness. It's called relational forgiveness. It's about fellowship. When Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing, he was crying out what we should do. He was saying, no matter what they do to you, forgive them. Because otherwise, what happens if you don't forgive them? Your fellowship with God is hindered. You might not feel as close. And here's the sad part about this sin, unforgiveness, resentment, bitterness. A lot of people don't even know they're doing it. And I would encourage you, this day and this week, maybe the Lord will bring someone to your mind that you need to forgive. And you forgive them. Because that's what Jesus did for you. That's how we fellowship together. So that's the two levels of forgiveness. As we end today, I want you to think about what tables might need to be overturned in your life. Maybe it's that table. Maybe it's an unwillingness to surrender your temple 
it's not your temple, his temple to him to do whatever he wants. Maybe it's an unwillingness because you're afraid. Oh, well, what is God going to do? But first of all, if you've never received Jesus Christ, then you're at risk of eternal separation from God unless you believe in him today. And that's the main table he wants to overturn. So as we end today and talk about that deep cleaning, what is it that God needs to do in your life? And let him do it. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace that we didn't earn salvation. We didn't earn your gift of your Holy Spirit in our life. We didn't earn your forgiveness. It's a gift, and it's a gift of grace. And I pray if there's anyone out there today who has never received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that they do that now. And they'd open their hearts, say, Lord Jesus, as you rode into Jerusalem as king, I want you to come into my life as the king of my life. I want you to own this place. I want you to do what you want to do. And I'm sorry for how I've tried to take control. I'm sorry how I've sinned against you. I'm sorry that I was a money changer and taking advantage, thinking it's my business. It's your business, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you love us so much that you would send this message to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor David Bartowell's message reminds us that God speaks to us with hope and reason so that we can be His voice in this world. Please join us again for Make Me Your Voice, a ministry of the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. We would love to have you join us for a Sunday service. For more information or to find our location, please visit thegatecbc.com.